Thank you, Angela. That was wonderful. I'm not acquainted with that hymn, but I love the words, didn't you? And the haunting melody that it is. I would ask that you take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to start with the 12th verse. Hebrews is one of the books we don't know the author. It's in the New Testament, near the end of the scriptures. So you can even start from the back and move forward. You can find it. It's a letter written out of the context of Jewish life and the Hebrew nation. That's why it was given uh, that title. It has some fascinating, fascinating, often quoted uh, texts to it. As we'll see, the text that we're going to do today is one that is very well known. It's often quoted in our, in our lives In the sacrament of baptism, each one of us at that moment when we came before uh, the pastor was asked a question that is, in fact, one of the most significant questions that we can answer. It, it asks a question that is of such depth to it uh, that we often don't really realize what we're committing ourselves to until we've lived it out. It's kind of like whenever I'm standing in front of a bride and a groom and I hear these young people commit themselves through whatever is coming ahead. They're going to be there for each other. And I recognize they don't even begin to understand what that commitment is. But they want to make that commitment. They want to be there. They want to, to walk this journey of life together for they found someone that they want to do. And the same is true of this foundational question uh, that we answer at the point of our baptism, when we first begin uh, this journey of Christian faith. The question is this. Do you accept the authority of the Old and New Testament? It is such an important commitment that we actually repeat it when someone decides that they are going to become a part of the Free Methodist Church. And so in our membership vows, when you become an official part of the church, it's in that moment that we ask the, the, the same question, but with a little bit more explanation or elaboration. We say, do you believe the Bible is God's written word, uniquely inspired by the Holy Spirit? And do you accept its authority for what you must believe and how you must live? Now, in both of those moments, we are saying that we accept the word of God, the Bible, as foundational to everything in our lives, from our worldview to our political view to our relationships to our economics to our very core of our temporal and eternal being, we are saying that when the Bible explains God's truth, we will accept the authority of those truths in our lives. We will live as the Bible teaches. That's the commitment that we make in this journey of life. Now, that's not easy, uh, both as a person and as a pastor. I have seen over and over how difficult it is to truly live out God's values, God's explanations, rather than to live by superstition. I see so often people live in a superstitious place or to live in a religious place and to think that this is all about practicing a religion, or to try to fit into popular culture and gain the world's esteem or acceptance, 
or to in fact turn their life over to a political party and to a political worldview or even to turn your life over not to the values of God that are explained so clearly in scripture but to economic self-interest to what I want to get for me and mine. We can easily come to church an hour a week and kind of add God to our list of assets. Yes, God is on my side, but he's on my side. I live by my ways and my values and my truth. I am the authority of me. Now, the author of Hebrews helps us identify that and to understand, okay, that doesn't work. And let me help you understand why God has given us something that does change everything about everything and will allow you to live in such a deeper and eternal way. He explains that when we open ourselves to the breath of God, to the word of God, that his word will in fact infuse us. Every cell, every thought, every action, every goal, every dream, every idea, if we are immersed in the word of God. So let's go to Hebrews uh, chapter 4, and we're just going to read five verses this morning from verse 12 through verse 16. Um, profound, profound words in Hebrews. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And I think he's calling them to their baptism commitment. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now keep that open before you and let's pray. Father, I know that I often remind myself and others that you do not just leave us in this world trying to figure out truth by trial and error. That you reveal to us things that we could not have known had you not told us and explained it to us. And I'm so appreciative of that. I'm so thankful that you give us truth and, and you make it accessible. And if we will listen, if we'll study, if we'll surround ourselves with your word and your people, that we are able to live bountiful, faithful lives. And so today each of us have come in recognition that we, we need to know you and to know your truth. And so speak uniquely. I know that you have a unique relationship with each of us. So speak uniquely into the thoughts and hearts and minds and emotions and imaginations of each of us. And we'll give you the praise. Amen. In the Middle Ages, 
when religious leaders wanted to control the people rather than let them experience the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. They made the Bible inaccessible to them. Now let me repeat that. In the Middle Ages, and in any age when religious leaders or political leaders or educational leaders want to control the people, they remove the Bible from them. Now think about that. Why would they be afraid of the Bible? When my son Ben was going to Duke Divinity, the Divinity School, which was the foundation of Duke Divinity as a seminary, as it has done for almost 200 years since 1838, the Divinity School provided Bibles to all the graduates of Duke University. But since this Methodist-founded school has become so secularized, there were many facu faculty who criticized this, and they didn't want the graduates to be given a Bible. And Ben uh, told us that Will Williman, who was the dean of the school at that time, you've probably read some of his books, and he was the uh, dean of the chapel at that, and he had these words to say. He said, I am so thankful that there are still faculty at this great university who realize the Bible is a dangerous book. <laughs> so again, in the Middle Ages, and in any age where religious leaders or political leaders or educational leaders want to control the people, they remove the Bible from them. Now the reasons for that are very clear to those of us who live by the word of God. This statement that the author of Hebrews makes is one of the most profound statements. And we're going to unpack it. The Bible is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now there are four aspects I would point us to, but I would encourage you to, to just spend some time. Not, not, don't just read this chapter. It's a part of a larger argument that uh, the author is making about Jesus Christ. But just in this part, I would point out four things about the word of God. First of all, the word is alive. It's uniquely inspired and inspiring communication. Second, the word is active. It's not passive when you read the word of God. It reaches out and it grabs you and it reaches out beyond our lives. It speaks to the larger world in which we live. Third, the word of God is penetrating. It divides the undividable. It simplifies the complex. It it overcomes the overwhelming. And fourth, the word of God is revealing. It brings the hidden into light. And it brings us to Jesus. It allows us to eventually understand what it means to have this high priest who is on our side in the moments of temptation and walking with God and life. Uh, that the truth that is expressed to us in the word of God, Jesus helps us live. So let's look at the first. Let's look at the 
Word of God is alive, uniquely inspired, and inspiring communication. As you remember, the word for spirit in the Hebrew language, in the Old Testament language, is ruhah. And it means the breath, or the wind, or the spirit of God. The Latin word for breath, meaning the breath of life, or the God's breath, is spire. So when we say the Bible is uniquely inspired, we mean that it breathes. And it breathes the breath of God. Just as Adam received that first breath and became a living being. So we breathe. Wesley explained that this is a double inspiration. He says that the breath of God that breathed into the authors and was written down in his living, active word is also the same breath of God that flows through us as we read the word of God and his breath becomes our breath. And we breathe with him this life that is living in our lives. The word of God, the Bible, is uniquely inspired. Now it's true, of course, that God and this same breath comes to us through the hymns that we sing, the songs, the spiritual songs. God's same breath works through sermons and lectures and classes, conversations that we have on the deck. God breathes. Through them, he gives us life. But when we come to the word of God, we say that it is uniquely inspired. It breathes in a way that's different from any other breath that we have the opportunity to breathe. That's why, as a family of God, we encourage our small groups to study the word of God. Sometimes our small groups may choose to read an author for a period of time, but eventually we encourage them Go back to the uniquely inspired. Not that the authors of this day are not inspired. God breathes through many sources. But the Bible is a uniquely inspired, living word of God. Not like any of the other communication. You might find it interesting in my uh, research, I found that there's a new te technology called the Spire. And it's... Uh, uh, technology you can get and attach it to your body and your smartphone will tell you I, I don't think you're breathing very well you must be tense stop and breathe for a moment <laughs> and I couldn't help but think that's a great analogy in old school before smartphones we said you're tense go to the word of God breathe breathe with God breathe in harmony with God think as God thinks Feel as God feels. See the situation that you're facing that can be so overwhelming in this little envelope. Look at it within the whole of eternity and your life and who you really are and what the person you're dealing with or the situation you're looking at really means within the whole of existence. And so we stop and we breathe. So God's word is a living, life-giving communication. Now second... The Word of God is active. It is not passive. You cannot just read the Word of God as you read another book and sit it down and act as though it, it hasn't reached out and grabbed you and, and comforted you, challenged you, embraced you. It's a powerful experience to read the Word of God. What's fascinating to me about uh, the Bible is that every time you read it, 
it can have a nuanced, new, and wonderful meaning for where you are right now. Right now in your existence. The words might be familiar, might have read it a hundred times. But the implication, the application, has somehow grown with you and with your circumstance. Because you are now in a different place as you breathe with God on this journey. That's why we can read it over and over and over and it never becomes stale. The Word of God is alive and it's active. And that leads us, of course, to the next reality. The Word of God is penetrating, dividing the undividable, the things that we just can't see how to get through these circumstances or simplifying some complex thing that we're looking at or overcoming that which is overwhelming to us. The analogy that the author uses in, in Hebrews is a double-edged sword. It can divide soul and spirit, he says. And soul is the psyche, the, that's the Greek word. And we, we think of the psychology, the self of the person, that which is physically defining who we are. And then spirit, dividing that psychological, spiritual part of us. Because sometimes we get confused. Is that a spiritual issue that we're facing or is it psychological based on background and difficulty? Has it interacted in some kind of way that we need to divide out and pray for and seek counsel with? Or what is happening here? And the Word of God helps you begin to understand what's going on in your life and what you need to, to explore together. It's also a, a sword that can cut through bones. We think of bones as being something that, that is too strong the things that are kind of core that cannot change in your life. And, and he explains that this can, this can change the joints, it can change the very marrow, the very center of those things that are strong, that are either holding you back or making you unable to move. And it's double-edged, and that's, of course, the, the thing that makes the Bible dangerous. It, when you read the Word of God, it's always speaking about the larger world your larger circumstances, the things you're going to do at work, what you're going to do with that bank account, what you're going to do with this uh, boat that you have, what are you going to do? But it, it cuts this way as well into the very deepest level of your own motivation. And Why are you saying what you're saying and thinking what you're thinking? Where did, where did that come from in the psyche, the soul, the spirit? What, what's going on within? And so one of the great powers of the Word of God is that it, it does not, if you are filled with the breath of God, allow you to use the Word of God as a weapon. For it always brings about a humility and a compassion and a thinking and loving as God thinks and loves. So that when you face that which is out there, you face it with the ways of God, the values of God, the truth of God. You don't come at it with some other values that are influencing what you are uh, doing in the exterior world, but it brings the Word of God into that place. It cuts both ways. Humble and in need of God's mercy ourselves, we become humble and compassionate in our relationship with others, whatever the, the circumstance we might be facing. The caution here. And it's a, an important caution uh, as we are the people of God, Bible-believing, the Bible's the authority in our lives, is that when we read the Word of God, when we 
uh, hear a sermon expounding the Word of God, when we read a book about the Word, when we're in a Bible study studying the Word of God, if we are only thinking about someone else who needs to hear this, then we're missing the very opportunity of what it is God wants to do within us. Yes, we should be thinking of those who need to hear because it's double-edged. But if it hasn't spoken to us first, then we are not in the place to bring that message or that truth or that word to another individual. Humble compassion is not our response. Then we need to take a deep breath of the truth. Stop for a moment. Let the, let the word cut within. One of the things that I learned early on as, as, a, as a pastor is that when you as the, the speaker of God's word, as a teacher of God's word, stand up to teach God's word, God is going to hit you first all week long about it. That's why I never like to talk about marriage. or anything. I'm going to get cut all the way to the very core and I'm going to have to say yes before you can stand before the people of God and talk about the truth of God. And that is true of any uh, person, but we experience it because we often are expected to teach God's word more often than others. That, of course, leads us then to the last truth, that God's word is alive and active and penetrating, that it reveals the hidden things and brings us to Jesus as it reveals these things that need to be transformed and changed. We often think of temptations as the physical things of life. Most often we think of some illicit sex, adulterous sex or other kind of sex. We even use the word temptation to speak about unhealthy foods uh, that we should not be eating. But the truth is, and this is, this is true in, in any uh, person's life, temptation is far more spiritual than it is physical. When we only think about the physical temptations that are facing us, that's only like the first level of Dante's hell. There are far more powerful temptations. The primary temptation, uh, that if you want to get down to the core of all temptation, is to breathe and conspire with other gods, other values, other purposes to go with that group. That's why the first of the Ten Commandments is have no other gods before me. Breathe with me. Be with me. Don't conspire with other gods and other words. There are so many temptations in our society to let our identity and our lives be controlled by those values that are not taught by Scripture. And we can easily get... Uh, tempted into, seduced into those kinds of ways of being, those kinds of ways of thinking. And anything that takes you away from God is far more damning than what the physical temptations might be. Both, of course, are destructive. Both, of course, are in hell, as Dante says. But there are some that are far more subtle and they even enter the sanctuary they even in, come into the safe place where we are. When the author of Hebrews explains that Jesus has been tempted in every way, you know, 
we all think back to the temptations of Christ, okay? How was he tempted? Well, the first temptation was physical, to turn the stone into bread. But the other two temptations had to do with power, political power, uh, economic power, religious power, uh, magical fame kind of power. Uh, The deeper temptations are those to replace God. Now, it's, it, it's true that all of us uh, like to hide those sins, and all sins, uh, from God. And we, we uh, have that very alluring thought, like Adam and Eve had in the garden, that God wouldn't know uh, that we've not given him the authority and that we've somehow disobeyed what he's asked us to do. And so the, the author of Hebrews makes it very clear that God knows, just as you know. And the truth is, others will know. There, there are no hidden things in life. The Word of God has a way of actively dividing and revealing the truth about ourselves, to ourselves. And if we confess our sin and own it and say, yes, this is tempting, or yes, I, I have fallen to that temptation, please forgive me and cleanse me, then we have nothing to fear. For we ourselves have brought it out and owned it and allowed God to forgive and to heal. And that's what the sacrament's all about. Please forgive us of our sins, everything that we've done that was wrong and everything that we didn't do that we should have done. The sin of commission and omission, please forgive us of those sins. The Word of God has a way of actively dividing and and revealing to us the things that we most want to hide. That's why it's so hard to read the Bible. When I ask people, how often do you read the Bible? Oftentimes people will say, as they're in the midst of great struggle, losing their marriage sometimes, oh, well, I don't. If we read His Word, He will confront to us very things that are costing us that marriage, that relationship, that business, those circumstances. He will help us to become people of faithfulness and compassion and care and forgiveness and oneness with God. And it's that relationship that we have with God through his word as he speaks to us that we're able to understand. That's why people oftentimes don't come to worship. They don't come to hear the Bible taught. They don't go to Bible study. They don't work it through and put it as a part of their lives. That's why universities and schools try to keep the Bible out of the hands of the graduates and out of the classroom of our students. The students, if they have the Bible, if they understand God's word, if they see God's truth, they're not going to be controllable by these temporal and often... Uh, broken institutions that attempt to control our lives. For we're free to follow God in his eternal ways. So let's bring all this down to you and to me, how we, how we live our lives. Perhaps the question we need to ask ourselves is this very simple one. Do I breathe deeply and regularly the living, active, penetrating, revealing word of God? Do I do so as an individual, deeply and regularly? Do I do so with a small group who inform me? Uh, 
Do I do so in sanctuary with trained teachers? And then second, do I live the commitment of my baptism? When the word reveals truth, do I give God authority over me and over that area of my life? Do I breathe the word into my work, my relationships, my family, my home, my community? If you haven't seen uh, the movie The Intern, it's a wonderful example of slowly, authentically, compassionately and wisely entering into a workplace and into the life of someone who needs someone to care for them. That's the way it should be with us. Do we breathe so deeply that when we come into a place of work or a relationship, we're God's person in that place and in those circumstances? Do I live by God's truth? Or have I conspired with other gods, breathing with other gods? As I was studying this week, I came across this rather crude, but helpful, actually, picture. As you can see, this man is crying out to God to speak to him. And the great hand of God reaches down where he is and gives him the word of God. He has spoken clearly, distinctly, over thousands of years, multicultural, multi-generational, all types of personalities, all types of situations and circumstances. He has spoken. And I think of the line in that old hymn which says, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said? You who unto Jesus for refuge have fled. Let's spend some time thinking about that, meditating about that for a moment. Then we're going to sing that hymn together. Let's pray.